podcast where we talk about the stories, the experiences behind the sermons that are preached each week here at First Lutheran Church. This is Pastor Brian. And I'm Pastor Perry, and I've got the reading for today. And so uh, we're reading uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, beginning at verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? He answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. And your father's house, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed Baals. Baal, I think. You'd say Baal. I don't know. I've heard every way. I'll I'll use use Baals. Okay. And followed the Baals. Now, therefore, have all Israel assemble for me at Mount Carmel with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the Israelites and assembled the prophets at Mount Carmel. Elijah then came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even, I only am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets number 450. Let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it into pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire is indeed God. All the people answered, Well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourself one bull and prepare it first. For you are many, then call on the name of your God, but put no fire to it. So they took the bull that was given them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, crying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no answer. They limped about the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, surely he is a God, either he is meditating or he has wandered away, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Then they cried aloud, as was their custom, and they cut themselves with swords and lances until blood gushed out over them. As midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice and no response. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come closer to me. And all the people came closer to him, First he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took the twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. With the two stones, with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Then he made a trench around the altar large enough to contain two measures of seed. Next he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. He said, Fill four jars with water, and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. Then he said, Do it a second time, and they did it a second time. Again he said, Do it a third time, and they did it a third time. 
so that the water ran all around the altar and filled the trench also with water. At the time of the offering of oblation, the prophet Elijah came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your bidding. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust even licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord indeed is God. The Lord indeed is God. Our corresponding gospel lesson from Mark chapter 9, beginning with the second verse. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. So uh, Israel's been in a drought for three years at this point. And uh, um, Ahab calls Elijah the troubler of Israel. Um, But he throws it back to him and says, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. So God had, um, through Elijah, um, brought about a drought on the land because Ahab um, and his uh, um, kingship had been worshiping other gods. So uh, Ahab and Jezebel... Uh, king and queen. So they are um, actually feeding the prophets of Baal. They are the ones that are taking care of them, yet the prophets of God are hiding out in caves and uh, not being able to to come out uh, in fear of in fear of death. Yeah, so this particular scene is interesting. It's uh, kind of a peak between this competition, if you will, um, between the priest of Baal, between this priest Elijah of God. Jezebel has had many of God's priests killed. That's why they've been living in fear and not being taken care of by the king. Um, the other interesting competition here, Baal was thought of as the storm god or the one who brings the rain to the earth. So um, God sends Elijah and says, you're the storm god, really? Hmm. Okay, there's going to be a drought and let's just see what your storm god can do. And it all kind of then Uh, culminates in this particular scene here where there's this competition to find out who's really God. And obviously it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel um, in this this statement. I found it interesting that the altar that uh, Elisha builds up was the altar that um, Jacob had made uh, many years back. Um, I believe it was when he had the uh, the, the ladder uh, with angels ascending and descending from heaven uh, that had been torn down previously. And so um, restoring that um, that covenant, actually, with, with God. Yeah, that's interesting because as Jacob builds that up back in the book of Genesis, he says, surely God is in this place. And so it's almost, again, like Elijah is building on that and saying, <clears throat> okay, let's see which God shows up to the scene here. Uh, it's interesting to me in the competition between the two as well. Um, Elijah stacks everything against him. Uh, he's invited 
450 priests of Baal and 400 priests of Asherah, who is kind of the female equivalent of Baal. So here you've got 850 of these uh, priests of idols up there, and then you've got Elijah. So one against 850. Then he says, okay, we'll get two bulls. I'll let you pick first, so that way you can't say that I got the better pick. You get a pick first. Um, then he gives them all day to, to set up their situation. And it's interesting, too, there to see the contrast between how much effort these 850 or, or, or if you only say 450 for just the priest of Baal put into trying to make their idol do something. Um, they, it, Elijah says they, they're dancing around all day. He kind of makes fun of them. You're limping about. He's making fun of a dance that they would have done there. Um, and then later on into the day, they begin to cut themselves and bleed themselves out. And it's all this action that they're putting into to try and make this idol do something. And then you contrast that with what Elijah doesn't do, I'll say. In fact, he says, okay, he builds up the altar that you were talking about, Perry. Um, he cuts up the bowl and places it on top of it. And then he says, just for good measure, uh, let's pour some water on the wood too. And not just one time, but let's pour water over it three times, so much so that uh, there's standing water all underneath the, the sacrifice. And uh, I know from camping how well wet firewood works. So he's, he's really stacking things against himself. And then um, when he's there and, and everything's against him, he speaks up. And notice how little Elijah does. All he has to do is, is call out to God, and God does all the action, burns it down to uh, the ground so that there's there's nothing left there of the sacrifice. And it is cool how the people then respond and say, the Lord is God. The Lord indeed is God. Um, and how they, in a sense, come back. I don't think it lasts very long um, because there's still continuing struggles, but they are reminded of God's presence, of God's action, and really the, the problems that, that Ahab and Jezebel are, are bringing upon them. And I think it's right after that that the, that the drought ends. And those three years of, of death, um, out of that comes life. And as I was reading some background for this, uh, the, the writer was talking about that as being a foreshadowing of Christ and being three days uh, dead, and on the third day, um, new life coming forth out of the tomb, uh, foreshadowing of what would happen uh, when, when God finally um, reveals his full plan in Jesus Christ. Yeah, there's kind of a, a re-education that's taking place here in this scene, a reminder, again, that it's God who acts, God who takes care of the people, provides the, the water, um, provides whatever is needed in the wilderness. A lot of this points back to the Exodus story and uh, the people living in the wilderness. Or I was reminded even um, as they were escaping from the Egyptians and they've kind of got their back up against the wall there against the Red Sea. And they're kind of saying, what are we going to do? Maybe this wasn't a good idea to leave Egypt. Uh, the words that come to Moses, what he says to the people, um, Exodus 14, 14, he says, stand still and be quiet. <laughs> That's your part in this. <laughs> God will do the fighting. God God will take care of you. And so you get that reorientation here on top of the mountain too that, uh, again, Elijah is setting up. Look at God has got this. It's in God's hands. 
Um, he's the one who's going to take care of you. He's the living God um, who, who takes the action and does what's needed. So that, that's kind of a powerful scene that's played out here. You're right. <laughs> it doesn't last long, but um, it's a glimpse into this kingdom that God is calling us to live into where he's promised to take care of us. Then as we pull in the, the gospel text with um, Mark and the story of the transfiguration, we do see these two uh, figures really in, in covenants with God, uh, the Mosaic covenant of God um, coming to the people and essentially again saying, you know, I am your God and uh, you just need to need to follow me. And, and, uh, and again, Elijah is coming and, and saying, uh, here is your God, and, uh, and this God is, is for you. Um, but also that idea that at the point where the transfiguration happens, both Moses and Elijah would have been long gone from um, walking on the earth. And that reminder of, of uh, those who have gone before us um, and, the, and the, the work that they have done, the things that they have done to, uh, to support uh, the people's faith here on earth. Yeah, that's a really, just as you were explaining that, that's a powerful image I hadn't thought of before either. But there you've got Moses and Elijah um, with God, and they've uh, passed on from this life at that point. So it's clear that they are unable to do anything else for themselves at that point. It's entirely God that's keeping them in that relationship uh, with them. And so to experience that and an understanding of God's kingdom and, and heaven like that, a place where... Um, it's clear we're past the point of being able to do anything for ourselves, and yet we're fully sustained and kept in God's company by him and by his power. Um, that's a, a wonderful thought as uh, we, we find ourselves in difficult situations or even facing death for ourselves or, or the death of a loved one to be reminded that um, God continues to sustain us beyond this life and beyond anything that we can do to stop it from uh, coming to an end as we know it. There's good news waiting there for us at the end of our rope, if you will. <laughs> yeah, that God is with us always in this life and in the next. When has somebody stood up for you, backed you? Hmm. When you were in a bind and somebody showed up and said, hey, I'll help. You know, this is one that always comes up in terms of uh, around All Saints Sunday is who was someone who impacted your faith, uh, that their lives influenced um, how, how you saw God and how, how your faith uh, changed throughout the years. You know, we could go back to the, um, and for Elijah, Elijah, that that hap had to be, again, literally and figuratively, a uh, mountaintop experience. Um, the transfiguration becomes a mountaintop experience. You know, we have mountaintop experiences in relation to God. And what are some of those times? 
Yeah, I think that's a good question. And then to say you've, you've had those mountaintop experiences, but the reality is, is you, we don't live there. You know, you go back yeah. down the mountain. Um, so what, and to kind of go back to your other question, what are some of the signs you've seen in the valleys of your life? I mean, uh, this is a mountaintop story here, but really the ancient Israelites are in this big, long, deep valley <laughs> of their relationship and time with God. Um, so God shows up here in this little mountaintop scene. But uh, what are some of the ways you've seen God at work in the valleys uh, or in the difficult times? As you were describing that, it almost seems like this was a speed bump. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, in this particular scene. <laughs> It's like, yay, it's a mountain. No, it was a speed bump. Yeah. Yeah. It just slowed us down a little bit. Yeah. I think that, that kind of ties in, though, with uh, the most powerful witness we get of, of God is on that Easter Sunday, though. And that's not a mountaintop. That's the absolute lowest. Yeah. And, and there he is. <laughs>